Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. We have uh, Pastor Janice bring us God's Word this morning. Come on, how many of you so appreciate Pastor Janice and all that she does? So welcome, Pastor Janice. You are all cool today. Use your hands. Okay. So much has just happened. In my, my, yeah, it's just been so amazing. I mean, even hearing Daryl share that, I feel like, oh, yeah, preach it. We don't preach. Uh, huh? So amazing. So much good stuff, even in his testimony and like that word. Uh, so good morning, church. Morning. I'm a bit echoey. I'm just going to try this out today just because. Right. We're talking about something that has been mulling on my mind, but before I even go into um, the passage that we're going to look at today, there's just one burning thing I just need to say, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. So first thing I'm going to say is crucial, and uh, if you need to internalize anything, that's what you need to internalize is, no, I'm not going to do any form of rapping today, okay? Uh, I know some of you have been asking throughout the week, like, so Janice, are you singing, rapping? But um, just not today, okay? But I love the man who rapped last Sunday, but you know, that, that's it, okay? <laughs> not going to bust the rhyme. So some of you wonder what in the world his poem, like the, the one that Matt wrote was about. I just thought I would just share a little bit. Uh, for some of you who may not, stu- still don't know, uh, Matt was expanding on the word that was given during Excel camp, right, for us as a church by Pastor Gardner, and it's talking about this girl named Rhoda in Acts 12, and talking about how uh, we as a church called to be a bridge, a connector between church and culture, right? So that's Acts 12, and in case you're wondering, you can look it up, okay? And what we're looking at today is something called a tale of two fears, okay? And I, I, I thought I, I'd call it that, because as I, as I reflected on Psalm 34, it just couldn't go away, okay? There's this understanding of tale of two fears. And I noticed, actually, for the past few weeks, I've been sort of reflecting on this psalm. It has been coming up uh, in my personal reflection, uh, in my prayer time, and actually in a couple of services. Uh, it's even been referenced in the last few weeks. In fact, I found out a few days ago that Therese prepared last Sunday's worship with Psalm 34 in mind. I didn't know that. And, but if you would allow me, what I'll do is I'll just share some of my reflections and um, from this passage, and my life has been enriched. So I just, I just know that there's stuff here that God wants us to hear. And so our prayer is that he speaks right into our hearts, right, as you look at this text. So let's pray. Father God, we are just so, our hearts are so full, knowing that not only are you here, but you're doing a deep work in our hearts, in our lives. And God, even as we've lifted up our shouts of praise this morning, even as we sing, as you sing over us, we sing over the situations, the circumstances in our lives. God, even now, we open up our hearts to say yes, Lord, to all that you have for us from the psalm, from you, Holy Spirit, right into our hearts. So we say yes and amen in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at this psalm with me, you will need to kind of reference it many times over, okay, this morning. Psalm 34, I will just uh, start off with just two things I found unique about this, okay. This psalm is considered an acrostic psalm. 
So what that means is just that it's a sound that begins with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Don't ask me what they are. I do not know my Hebrew alphabets. I did not take Hebrew, but I am slowly learning more on my own. Psalm 25 is an acrostic sound, for example, Psalm 119. So this is like a poetic device um, of when they teach their children from young to learn and to memorize scripture. So that's an acrostic sound. Another unique thing, if you're referencing it, is you will see that this passage, Psalm 34, the beginning inscription tells you the exact occasion, do you see it, uh, in David's life that happened before he wrote this, okay? And this is in 1 Samuel 21, which we're going to look at later, okay, in detail. Now, let's break it down. We, we read Psalm 34 uh, in, in chunks, okay? I know we read some of it before worship today, but let's just go through it real quick again. Psalm, one, uh, one, Psalm 34, 1 to 3. 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So David here is writing, hey, you know, um, let's praise God. And he's saying, let's all praise God together. And he launches off into his testimony, verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then he continues after he shares his testimony. He says, oh, right, verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So here he ends kind of his testimony. Hey, let's worship God together. Let me tell you what happened to me. And he says, so come, come and see that God is good, right? And then he goes on in verse 11 all the way to 22. I'll read this portion. He launches off into a time of instruction. So guys, this is what happened to me. Worship him and look, this is how you're going to experience God too. Right? This is how we ought to live. Verse 11, he says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If you look at verses 4 and 6, what happened there? He's saying, hey, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me. Verse 6, he cried out, right? He's talking about himself. This poor man, me, I cried. The Lord heard me. He saved me out of all my troubles. The interesting thing that happened here is the context, right? So 1 Samuel 21 
is where you find that story. And I can read that to you, you don't have to turn there. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 onwards. This is the occasion, this is what happened there. So David, out of fear, he goes and runs to this place called Gath, right? David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Okay. The servants of this king, right, they saw David and they go, hey, isn't this David? Isn't this David the king of the land? Didn't they sing about him? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. That means like, wow, this guy, this is the, the famous guy, the, the king of the land. And David, in verse 12 says, David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Akish, the king of Gath. So what did he do? He changed his behavior and pretended to be insane. Right, pretended to be a madman before them, started to make markings on the doors of the gate. He let his saliva flow down his beard. And then so the king came and saw and said to his servants, hey, this guy is crazy. Why did you bring him here? I'm paraphrasing, right? Why did you bring him here? Do I need more crazy men in my presence? Take him away, right? I, I don't need more. So this guy is not going to come to my house, okay? So David got chased away. And that was when then he ran from there. He escaped. Because he was crazy. And then he escaped to this cave called Adullam. And there what happened, when his brother and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, in debt, who were discontented, bitter in their soul, gathered there. And he became their commander. How many men? 400. Okay? In that cave. That's what happened. So, ladies and gentlemen, the writer of Psalm 34, let me tell you a little bit about him from what you've heard. David, Psalm 34, was at the lowest points of his life, one of them, right? Running for his life in fear. Saul was out to kill him. He resorted to deceiving people. And this is not the only occasion, even like a couple of chapters before. He was very afraid. He was very scared of this Akish. So he pretended to be crazy, right? That's pretty humiliating. Like if you're a follower of David and you're there like, what are you doing? Right? Like, hello, like have some dignity. Right? But he pretended to be insane because he wanted to be safe, save his own skin. So basically, David here is an outlaw running for his life. This guy who killed Goliath with one single stone is the leader of a sad bunch of people. 400 of them, okay? 400 disgruntled men, distressed, in debt, bitter in their soul in this cave. How would you like to be David? No hands? And, but he says in this psalm though, that I, I, I find that, it's so not every psalm has a specific occasion, but this one just tells you, look, this, this is his state of mind. This is what happened before he wrote it. This is where he was. And what came to the surface as I reflected on this was that David said, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. And then he goes on to say, hey, let me teach you about the fear of the Lord. So our story, the story of our lives is really a tale in which we deal with two fears, right? The, the fears that we delivered from and the fear we are to have, right? And we see that in the psalm. So I want to share a little bit of a snippet of story from my life. It's a bit vulnerable, okay? 
We're good? Before I committed my life to God, okay, I had a series of bad relationships. And one after another, um, they were just horrible, short-lived, not good. So when I started following Jesus, I committed my life to God when I was about 18. I had a desire then to honor God in my future relationship. Singular. Okay? No, it's very important English lesson. Soon after that, I was leading the youth ministry in our home church. And what seemed right for me at that time is just those few years I wanted to just focus on my task at hand. I didn't feel the desire to find someone or get attached or get in a relationship. Now, if you have that desire, please don't despise it. It's all good. Okay? I just didn't have it. Okay? I didn't have it for about seven years. People were like, why? Don't you want to? What relationship, right? I just wasn't thinking about it. And I didn't have that desire until when I was about maybe 27. And this is kind of God prompted. Okay, so I sense God was kind of prompting me, hey, now's the time to be open to relationship. And there were several confirmations from my faith community at that time that, hey, it's time. It's nice. Okay. Now, there was a guy that I was trying to work more closely with in the ministry, and he seemed a good fit, like we'll have good laughs, we had like pretty good sense of humor, we got along, there was compatibility in some ways, so I considered him, right? Now, a few years prior to that, he had gotten divorced. Now for me, it's not an outright no, but it added a set of factors, you know what I mean? Yeah, and there were many people who were giving advice, understandably, for it or against it, and Understandably, yeah, I took it. Thank you. Talked to a couple of my prayer partners that I was walking with. They prayed with me. I shared with my pastor at the time. As we got closer, though, I felt a bit confused. Because, you know, I, I knew that God had said it was time. At least that there was also confirmation. But I felt hesitant. But then I knew it wasn't because he was a divorcee. Did Yeah. And, and so I thought maybe I'm hesitant because I'm worried, I'm, I'm scared of what people thought of me. And so I resisted that hesitation. How many of you can kind of relate that? You know, when you know you have a fear of men, they're like, you know, but I'm not going to be afraid of what people, who cares what people think, right? But then you're, I was hesitant. And so part of me, I was like, I want to take a step of faith. Part of me was like, hang on, hold on a second. So then because I felt that I wanted to honor God in my future relationship, right? So I wanted to start it off right. So I, you know, prayed, looked through the Bible, did some Bible study, reflected. And I felt, you know, I think it's necessary that we, we kind of walk through a bit uh, your past issues. Let's just talk a bit about that. And so I, I, I started talking about what would closure look like before we start. And I talked about how about like considering praying about get insight from God about relating to your ex-wife and things like that. I thought I wanted, I wanted to honor God that way. Started off right. But as we got closer and we talked about these things, um, he didn't like it. So he started to exhibit a bit of a defensiveness. Um, he was unhappy. He thought I was judging him. Oh, you just you're just worried that you know people would think uh, or have an opinion of you, 
That's why you're asking me to do this, right? You have no idea like, what it was like, etc. So then I, I wrestled with God. I'm like, you know, oh God, I want to please you. And, and I want to do what's right, but then I, I, I'm not going to be scared of what people think. But at the same time, though, I was like a bit insecure, a feeling that for seven years I didn't feel. What if I don't get married? You know, what if I, I you know, lose this opportunity and the boat sails and like, oh, hey. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. And, and fear of making the wrong decision, I started feel, feeling like, what if I regret this? Or what if I'm not hearing right? You know, all, all these things, the spheres and all that stuff. But anyway, so after some of that, spare you the details and a series of events, I realized that God's timing was right, but just not with this guy. And not, definitely not with the kind of responses that he was giving while we were praying this through. So I stopped it. And that was when soon after I went to seminary, a few months later I got to know this other guy. And that's <laughs> another story. <laughs> that's another story. But like I was saying though, I was sharing that to say our life is really a drama a journey where we learn to deal with different fears, right? And there is a tension between these. And so how we respond to them or react, it determines our stories, right? That comes out of it. And when you look so closely in this psalm, some words are repeated. And because I'm a nerd, I will show you what I did, okay? <laughs> psalm 34, I don't know if it occurred to you, maybe some of you have studied this passage before, but some words occur five times. Wow. Verse 4, okay, I'm the, am I the only one excited? Okay, never mind. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears, right? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Next one. Taste and see, oh, sorry, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, right? You saints, for those who fear him have no lack. 11, I think. Yeah. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And these, most of them, four out of the five, come from the same base word, even in Hebrew. Right? So as I meditated on this, these two fears became apparent to me in the form of a nerdy table. <laughs> Just because. So I don't always do tables, okay? But I realized that like the last time I had the table too. But anyway. So on one side, you've got this fear. Um, a fear that is self-conscious, a fear that is limiting, a fear that holds you back, a fear that we want to actually grow out of, not have more of. It is the fear that the Bible teaches us that love removes, okay? And let's talk about some of the major fears that we have. Did you know I, I checked out like Singapore fear survey? And, and I got this, like, it's pretty recent. June 24th says, Singapore youths, any of you see this? Singapore youths afraid to be kind. Yeah, right? Look it up. Not now, huh? Later, okay? <laughs> June 24th, CNA. Singapore youths afraid to be kind. So anyway, I decided to do a poll of my own, okay? And these, are, and some of you guys got my text. And this is what I found out. <laughs> No, it didn't take a lot of time and woo, I love Canva. I discovered they have a 
chart uh, diagram things. I was like, oh, let me try. So took like two minutes. Yeah, so easy. All the fears that I was getting back in people's uh, replies. I asked the question, what is a major fear that people have in life, right? What is a major fear people have in life? So from the responses, I kind of categorized them into these broad categories, right? Fear of men. Fear of men would be like, so this is my poll results. Yes. So fear of men said like how people see them, right? Fear that people fear how people see them. People fear rejection. Opinion of others. Uh, that people think that they're inadequate, fear of rejection, fear of putting yourself out there and then getting rejected, fear of public speaking. I put that under fear of men too. Fear of, uh, you know, being yourself and then discovering that people can't love you or that you don't belong, so you're not safe. All those under fear of men. And then you have fear of insignificance, which I was kind of like, I was expecting it, but not like 23%. So my sample was like 30 people, okay? And the fear of insignificance was quite top. And it included things like fear of not fulfilling potential, not living life to the full, not fulfilling God's purpose, fear of um, not amounting to anything in life, fear of not doing what really matters, fear of just not being able to succeed, uh, even though perhaps that definition, right? Who knows, the, the definition of success there. And, and all those things under fear of insignificance. And then there is a fear of the unknown, slash uncertainty, fear of death, fear of being killed, fear of, fear of losing kids, fear of what's ahead, fear of loss, uh, even like loss of control, fear of financial, uh, financial security, fear of lack, all those things. And then there's um, fear of failure, which we are also acquainted with, and all those things. So, interesting. And I think in a way, we, we know that, and it's very common, prevalent, even within our own hearts, even within the church, right? I mean, that's me right there, right? I fear all those things. And we live in a culture that is actually full of fear, if you don't realize that. Maybe we, we, we exalt confidence so much, and like certain things, like, wow, you know, that person just seems so powerful. But, 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 but fear grips us. At the same time, we're, we're living with like fear of all kinds of things, fear of losing face, losing status, position, fear of losing relationships, fear of all kinds, right? Fear of uh, lo losing stability, fear of um, being murdered, right? Fear of fire, all sorts. I can name them, you can name them. And I thought, okay, let me just find what some people say about fear. Interesting. This guy called Salvador Dali says, have no fear of perfection. You'll never reach it. Okay, thank you. This other guy who is actually convicted of something, but <laughs> Victor Salva is a director actually. He was a director. He said, I think the most primal fear of a human is to be eaten. Wow. <laughs> This one I shared with Tim, and then like we're like, who's this guy? Tupac Shakur. He says this. <laughs> he says, I don't have fear of death. My only fear is coming back reincarnated. What? Thank God like that. Well, he, 
he's not alive, by the way, so if you see him, yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, so all kinds of fears, even fears that I wouldn't have thought of, fear of being eaten, I've, I've never really reflected on that, but that's a fear, apparently. And so we live in a culture that has so many different kinds of fears, um, but some of them are actually noble. Some of them are valid. I won't say about the Ethan thing, but I mean, fear of losing children, fear of losing relationships, those are real, and they're not all bad, but they can be fear that is pretty self-conscious, right? When you look at scripture, though, what do we see? I want to show you a few verses. Bear with me. That's a bit, um, a few, okay? <laughs> Romans 8.15 tells you, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this fear is one that we are not to have. Hebrews 13.6 says, I can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is about you know, fearing men. 1 John 4.18 tells us there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this is especially for Andre and Star Wars fans. Yoda says, fear is the path to the dark side. Okay. <laughs> fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. So this fear is the dark side, okay? This is the fear on the dark side. And then scripture at the same time tells us the fear we are to have. Okay, what does that tell us? Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're like, why this one? The word reverence, the root word, is the same Greek root word as what's translated into fear. Basically, you can read there, submitting to one another out of fear for Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. So you have this fear, can I have the table? The fear that we are to have on the dark side, and then the fear that we are, uh, the fear that we're not to have on the dark side, and the fear that we are to have, which is a fear that is God conscious, as opposed to self, a fear that liberates us rather than limit us, a fear that we grow into throughout our life and our walk with God, a fear that love actually brings. The idea of fearing the Lord is actually almost lost, right, in, in our culture. And we're still even in a church. It's not a popular notion to talk about fear. It's a negative connotation. It's something we want to remove. It's something we want to get out of. It's something that people of faith shouldn't have. Fear, right? But holy fear is actually a sign of health. For us, the people of God, as opposed to our other fears, just think about cholesterol, okay? Some of us need to start worrying about cholesterol, right? <clears throat> and y'all, some of you try to tell me pork lard is good cholesterol, uh-uh, like, you know? No, nice try. But there is good cholesterol and there is bad cholesterol, right? Good cholesterol purges bad cholesterol out of your body. Okay, keeps your blood vessels clean, clear, and healthy. Okay, but bad cholesterol, if you accumulate it 
in your body over time, which we are, if we accumulate it over time, it comes to a point where blockages happen, right? And you start to be having a limited quality of life, and soon it may debilitate you. That's like fear that we shouldn't have, right? Think about John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. You know that line that has always hit me is, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace that relieved my fears, right? And grace my fears relieved. Tim Keller writes this, in the original language, fear the Lord, is not just about being scared of God. It means sustaining a joyful, astonished awe and wonder before Him. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and His love. This is not obsolete just because we're New Testament people. The scriptures that I showed you, the verses about the fear we are to have, they are New Testament verses, not Old Testament. This is day-to-day -day for those of us who are disciples. As we mature to become Christ-like, we're talking about becoming like Jesus. This fear of God is centrally premised upon who God is, not us. It's about His character. He is the object of our ultimate fear. And many of our questions about right, wrong, uh, do's and don'ts, can I do this, should I do that, so many issues that we have, we talk about relationships, sexuality, ethics, this and that, policies to have, we try to solve them. Guys, while dealing with worldviews in which the fear of God does not exist. That's the problem. And we as a church, sometimes we have this indifference or flippancy about the things that matter to God. We go about in our shallow sense of service, a casualness in our worship that betrays that we also view God with a weightlessness that He is not due. He is mercy. He is also justice. God is grace. He is also truth. God is to be loved. He is also to be feared. That is God. You guys know Chronicles of Narnia? Right? You know that scene? Some of you already know that. I know you're talking about. That when Mr. Beaver tells Susan and Lucy, he's just telling, he's telling them about Aslan, right? The ruler of Narnia. Right? Is he, oh, is he a man? A man? Mr. Beaver says, he's no man. He's a lion, the lion. He's the great lion. And then Lucy says, Oh, I thought he was a man. I should feel quite nervous about meeting him. A lion. Is he quite safe? Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He is the king. He is a lion, but he is good. That's our God, right? That's like Aslan. There is a fear that love brings. And fear and love are not antithetical when it comes to God. Yeah. Did you know that? We are to fear God as we love and trust Him. And we are to love and trust Him as we fear God. That's God. At times, our kids think they can trifle with us, right? <laughs> and when there are certain instructions we give, we say, no, no, that's a no, no, okay? Never a I said, okay. And we need to show them we mean business, right? We need to show them we're serious about the consequences if they disobey. So for example, actually I haven't told you that. So <laughs> later I tell you again. For example, this, <laughs> this past Friday, 
Ezra decided it would be fun to do something that mommy and daddy said not ever to do, right? And not only that, he brought Meme along to do it. Okay. So the two of them, I was at home trying to work on this, and they're quiet, right? And then when your kids are quiet, uh-oh, right? So I was like listening out what's going on, and they started laughing, like, oh, yeah, this is so fun, right? And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go and check. So I caught them red-handed doing what mommy and daddy said not to do. <clears throat> so needless to say, he was quite scared. I pulled him aside and started talking to him very sternly. He was scared. He didn't dare to look at me in the eye. Kind of like hanging down. Started to get nervous. And, and now, I'd say it was important in that instance that he behaved appropriately to our relationship. We're not like buddy-buddy. Mother, son, parent, child, right? Grandchild, I don't know. Nah. That's <laughs> not, not well. Parent. <laughs> Parent. That's why we're sons and daughters of God, not grandchildren of God. <laughs> um, we love grandparents. Thank you, grandparents. <laughs> no hate there. But yeah, so appropriate to our relationship was very important that he responded likewise. Right? And I spoke to him. And that also and it also hit me that, hey, this is kind of what it means. Because I was thinking, like, how do I illustrate this? At that point, guys, my point was not just to strike fear in Ezra's heart. It was to shape him, to teach him wisdom, to properly love him. When I saw that he started to take my words seriously, that like, uh-oh, I'm really in trouble. And he demonstrated remorse from like his face, you know, dear. He understood and it was at that time then I also wanted to communicate that he need not be scared of me. It's kind of like, what? Francis Chan puts it this way in his basic series. You can check it out. It's pretty good. Then we would say, like he says, okay, now I know why I need to fear this God. I don't just flippantly disobey him. I won't take him seriously. And then it was at that po it's like that that it would change our whole mindset because we would realize now that I've seen him, I realize there's nothing to fear. God's like, he says this, I am this amazing God you ought to fear. But once you get to that point, you don't have to fear me. John Bunyan, another amazing quote, says, Godly fear flows from a sense of this love and kindness of God to the soul. Where there is no sense of hope, of this kindness, this mercy of God, there can be none of this fear. But rather, a fear of wrath and despair, which produces a fear that is devilish. But godly fear flows from a sense of hope or mercy from God by Jesus Christ. And that's why David wrote in verse 11, Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And that's when also as I reflected on this verse, on this passage, it, it also occurred to me that, hey, to grow in fear of the Lord is not to never make a mess, never make a mistake, never displease God, never do stupid things. Like, I mean, think David, right? Never to feel any other fear. It's not that. It, a man who fears God is one filled with gratitude and knowing God has delivered him. A man who is broken, poor man cried out and he answered me. A man who is teachable because of how God has shown himself to him. It is not a man who is always able to do right, always able to hear right, always able to have no fear. It is not. It is a, a, a man who has a fear of God, a heart for God, 
that is what it means to have the fear of God. What would it look like for you and I, for the church to have more of this fear? It would look like perhaps more, a bit more like what we see even in, in, in the church in the book of Acts. When the people gathered and there was a fear of God amongst them, God multiplied the church. People came to know God. This fear of the Lord is an expression of us as church. It is not a past expression. How do we cultivate this fear? From the psalm we see, there is humility. There is practiced humility. Why? Because the notion that David can say to his men or his listeners, come, let me teach you. It is not natural for us to fear God, guys. It is not natural. It is a trained thing. It is like training our senses, right? Like when we went to a prophetic workshop, it is like training, like spiritual practices that we're having. It is us learning to learn, to know and grow in the fear of the Lord. We practice being humble even when it's uncomfortable. It is not when you, you just, oh, I feel like being humble today. You know, <laughs> I feel like being a broken man today. No, it is actually posturing to become. It is actually practicing it until we do that. We practice humility, associating with those who also desire it. Why? Because in this psalm, we also see, besides David saying that we can learn it through exercising humility, recognizing who we are, who God is, is also the aspect of communal worship. He says in verse 3, right? Come, let us exalt God together. Associate with those who also desire fear of the Lord. That's so important. In our LGs or as church together, that's the place where we learn the fear of God together. We don't need to be afraid. Hey, am I going to offend you if, you know, I, I got this word for you and I'm like, oh, I say, I get. Sometimes I feel it too, okay, guys? Not just, not just some of you. But, or, or it can be a word of correction. Or it can be a, word, a reminder. Uh, how do we grow in the fear of the Lord as a community? Let's not be afraid. And I realized also yesterday when we, a uh, couple of us, we went to this conference. Uh, well, it's not conference. Micah conversation. Um, so there was this couple, some of you may have heard of them, Ken and Eddie, who shared their story. So they run, uh, uh, well... It's not a center. So in, they, they, have, they open their home to youths that don't have a home, right? Uh, in short, lah, I mean, look it up, the last resort. And it, and it hit me, even this was fresh, because Andrew was just asking uh, how it was yesterday. I was telling him. It, it, it occurred to me that when Ken and Eddie shared, I see an example of what fear of the Lord looks like. They could have other fears, and, and I'm sure they struggle with the other fears. They fear, like, not enough money to run the place, not enough food uh, uh, to feed the youth that are staying with them, because they don't raise funds, okay? They just totally, like, I don't know how they do, but they don't raise funds, okay? Maybe people give, but still, you're living, like, probably hand-to-mouth, and, 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 and that, that can have a lot of fear, right? We can have a lot of fear with that, because we like to have security, we like to know where, where, where stability is coming from. We like to you know, be able to take care of yourself. Otherwise, how do you take care of other people, right? That's very logical, and it's very pragmatic. But on occasion, some of us, or for many of us, we need to be really reminded this morning that a fear of the Lord can look like that. It's just living, managing our fears. We can't eradicate them, 
but we choose above all, I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. And it looks like this. We exercise humility and we hang out with people who want it to, who want to grow in it too. So find yourself some of those guys if you are not currently doing, right? So, okay. So I'm going to just end real soon and just share this. Another thing as I reflected on this psalm that I learned, and hopefully it will bless you guys too, is when I want to, as I choose to grow in the fear of the Lord, that's when I'll get to know more this God who is my deliverer. And the more I know him and his heart to deliver me, the more I grow in this fear of the Lord. And it just goes on and on. Because it's not sequential per se, but there is a relation. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, if you know him, then only you grow in the fear of the Lord. We can learn it, right? And it's not only like, oh, I need to grow, then I know God delivers me. It's not that. But there's relation in that. In Proverbs 14, 27 tells us the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And the, to, to just fear the Lord with a notion of punishment, of his wrath, his judgment, is incomplete, even in the original sense of the word. It is to fear with, a, with an awe and, 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 a, and, a, and a desire, this reverence for him, this wonder that motivates us to want to do his will. Does it make sense? I, it's, I give you an incomplete picture. It's, have you, any of you just like, there's someone you really admire and then like one day you get to like stand there. And uh, the, that happened for me one time when I went to Bible school and there was this uh, professor. I've read about him, I've heard about him. He teaches on leadership. His name is Robert Clinton. Yes. And so he was teaching there. And he has this stern face, actually, but he's quite approachable, but I didn't know that, okay? So he was quite stern, and like, he talks quite gruff, like, you know? So I, was, I signed up for his class, and I was like, like, like a fangirl, you know? It's like, wow, I'm here, I can't believe it. And so when he starts talking, and he'll be like, after class, there was one time when he engaged me personally, and he's like, Janice, come over here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but you know that feeling when, like, Pa, but yao, you know? So I was like scared. I was scared to go near and like talk to him. I was like, wow, this man. But then, then as I talked to him, then I got to know him more. The more I admired, you know, who he is, his, uh, you know, what he stands for, his, his, his values and all that. And then, then the more I like feared him. You know, it's, it's hard to explain and it's imperfect picture, but, but it's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like, that the way that God wants us to fear Him is not fearing judgment or, 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 or it's not a, a negative thing. But it's a reverence that because we love and trust Him so much, because we know He is so amazing, I don't want to disappoint you. I want to please you. I want to do, I want my life to please you. I want to do your will. But guys, let me just stop and end with this. A lot of times in church, what we talk about, we talk so much about doing God's will that I realize that we, we, we cause fear in people's hearts by talking about that. So we are like, as a pastor, I mean, I, th I, I understand that we want to do God's will, but it shouldn't come with an anxious fear to do it, that you're going to get it wrong that you're going to hear it wrong, and they're like, my life is not going to amount to anything. I'm like, you know, then it's going to be a waste. I'm not going to meet my destiny. 
Well, so let's think about that, me and Ezra thing. Think about like, so on one hand, you to do his will. He wants you to want to do his will so much that you like want to know what's on his heart. But he's not like gonna every step you take like uh, wrong. Yeah, salah, okay, not that way. Oh, see what you did there. See what you did now. That's it. Uh. I don't think that is how we ought to approach living in the will of God, walking in the will of God. So I want to remind you that fear of the Lord is something we can grow in. And fear of the Lord is so that you know God who is your deliverer. Let me point your last attention. Uh, don't, don't need to look at the screen, sorry. You can open the text or just, I can just like <laughs> read what blew my mind. And then I'll end there. In this psalm, it's not just about the fears that we have. In this psalm is what you see who God is and who is God. God in verse 4 is the one that answers and delivers us from all our fears. God is the one in verse 6 who hears you and saves you out of all your troubles. Verse 7, God is the one who surrounds you. Guys, picture that. He surrounds you and he delivers you. God is the one in... Wait, God is the one in verse 15 whose eyes are keeping a watch on you. God, your deliverer, hears you. He is listening out for your cry. God is the one in verse 17 who hears and delivers you out of your trouble. Verse 18, God is the one who draws near to you when you're broken. God is the one who saves you when you feel crushed in spirit. Verse 19, God is the one who delivers you out of affliction. Not if you have them, but when you have them. He is the one who delivers you out of them. Verse 20, he is the one that protects you, keeps you from harm. Verse 22, God is the deliverer who redeems our life and makes us righteous. That's what verse 22 says. Guys, this is our deliverer. He pursues us. He is the deliverer who comes for you. He is the one that makes sure that amidst our fears, when we turn and choose to walk in fear of him, we can go through anything. And we can face all fears together as a church. And we can grow as a people who fear God, who fear everything else less than fearing God because he is our deliverer. Would you stand? And I want to just ask and invite you to do something uh, as the worship band comes up. I just want you to do exactly as Andre in encouraged and invited us to do just now in worship. Would you raise your hand and just lift up praise to God who is your deliverer. Would you say, yes, I'm going to look to you, God. You are my deliverer. I choose to fear you more than I fear my fears. I am going to look to you as my deliverer. We're going to say, we're going to say that as a church this morning. Jesus, you deliver me. Your loving kindness delivers me. You redeem my life from the pit. You raise us up from the miry clay and you set our feet upon the rock. God, we're going to look to you. Jesus, deliver us. Your loving kindness. Love you. 
We love you with all of our hearts. Would you lift up your shout and just begin to praise God right where you are. Just think about, thank you. Just think about the fears that you have and say, Jesus, I'm going to fear God above all this. I'm lifting my fears to you. What I'm fearing in this season, what is causing me anxiety, sleeplessness, or depression, or discouragement at this moment. I want to say, God, I choose to fear you above these things. I say, God, you break our fears. You break off the chains of fear from us, from our spirits that weigh us down. Fear of making mistakes. God, fear of failing. Fear of failing people. Fear of failing you. Fear of not hearing you. We choose to break off of these fears right now in Jesus' name. And we say as a church, we're not going to be afraid of man more than you. We're not going to be afraid of opinion more than you. We're not going to be afraid of making mistakes. We're going to affirm each other. We're going to speak courage to one another's hearts. We're going to speak faith and hope and courage and joy and, and, and boldness into our hearts because of your word that says this morning, Jesus, you hear us in our brokenness. You hear the humble hearts. Those who fear you will know your rescue, Jesus. We look to you. We look to you and we give you praise this morning. And so, Lord, we say amen. Amen for your life. Amen for your goodness in our lives. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God.